Welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. If you're ordering food on a delivery app, you may not know precisely where your dinner came from. Columbus Underground Associate Editor Susan Post went down the rabbit hole of ghost kitchens and virtual brands in the restaurant industry. In today's episode, we explore the burgeoning scene of ghost kitchens in Columbus, unraveling their advantages, and the complex challenges they bring to the table. But it's not all about convenience. We'll discuss the transparency issues these virtual brands pose, how they can be misleading to customers, and the implications for food origin disclosure. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Susan Post, the associate editor of Columbus Underground and Metropreneur. Susan, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Tim? I'm good. We are here talking. We're trying to be a little timely uh, with our podcast today. Uh, we're talking about ghost kitchens. Uh, we anticipate this is going to be coming out right before Thanksgiving. We should have done it on Halloween. No, <laughs> Absol- I mean, <laughs> t- yes, indeed. Our ghost is real. Uh, first of all, tell us. So you did a piece, a long piece for Columbus Underground. Yes. About ghost kitchens, how they've permeated in Columbus, mm-hmm. what they are, why you did this, what are the benefits, what are the drawbacks. So let's get into it. First of all. What is a ghost kitchen? Okay, so there are a couple of definitions um, that people typically use for ghost kitchen. Um, I typically see a ghost kitchen as like a large commercial kitchen facility that has like lots of little individual kitchen bays um, in it that primarily caters to um, delivery and pickup brands, Mm -hmm. but can also be utilized by like food trucks, caterers, other food-based businesses. Um, There are a couple of examples of that in Columbus. There's the Cloud Kitchen facility called the Columbus Food Hall over on Essex Avenue. Um, And then there's a newer facility in Clintonville um, called High Street Kitchens that just opened up on High Street um, from Maker Kitchens. And this is category... So long, long time listeners will be familiar with ECDI and their like commercial kitchen. The food for it. The food for it. That is different. That, that is, is different. Primarily for businesses that are they primarily serve food trucks that mm-hmm. use that space as like prep and and stuff like that. Got so it. yeah, got it. Different from that. Um, and then some folks also call ghost kitchens um, restaurants or brands that are operating out of existing restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, the Buca de Beppo over in the Arena District. If you zoom in on that on Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever. There's Buka, but then there's also three or four other brands that are operating out of that same kitchen. So some people call that a ghost kitchen, mm-hmm. um, which also brings me to virtual brands, which kind of goes hand in hand with all this. And you can't really discuss one without the other. Okay. Um, and those are brands that exist like solely in the confines of the internet. And I think, you know, one of the most well-known examples is probably Mr. Beast Burger. Okay. Um, so he launched during the pandemic, launched 300 locations and all in one day, which is absolutely unheard of in, you know, restaurant 
world. And for those that aren't familiar, and frankly, I just became familiar with yeah. Mr. Beast three weeks ago, maybe. He this is a very famous YouTuber, very popular YouTuber, who, uh, based on your article, lent his name to this chain of burger like this so burger franchise. He partnered with this um, business or this organization called virtual dining concepts okay and so they create these virtual brands a lot of them have kind of like pop culture celebrity references so they kind of create these menus and these brand standards and everything that then they dispatch out to um, other existing restaurant kitchens okay so so mr beast burger could be produced and in fact is according to your article produced by like red robin yeah. And it is and am I getting that right? Um Red Robin has its own virtual brand. So what okay. it, it did is it segmented out its menu. So it took all of its like salads and chicken sandwiches and kind of siphoned it off into this other brand called Fresh Set. Okay. Um so it, it all just kind of keeps compounding on each other because it's like there's this example and that example and Yeah. So let's walk through it real quick yep. in terms of and I guess I want to take the perspective of I own a uh, a restaurant with a pretty ex- mm-hmm. with a fairly expansive menu. Uh, the suggestion would be for uh, them, based on and again, this is all from your article. Uh-huh. Uh, like, hey, if you want to generate more business, yes, you should have your pre-existing menu all in one spot under your previous, let's just call it Tim's Restaurant. Mm -hmm. Tim's Restaurant has all of these things. But also, let's say Tim's Restaurant offers pizza. Mm -hmm. There should be a Tim's Pizza. Exactly. And there should be a Tim's Chicken Wings. Yep. And there should be Tim's uh, uh, Salads. Yeah, so platforms like DoorDash and Uber Eats, they're like encouraging this for Mm -hmm. restaurants to say, hey, here's your main menu, but, you know, break it out into three or four other brands so and it you know there's um doordash kind of even said in some of their literature you know it's like having a product in a grocery store displayed on two or three shelves instead of one okay so it's they're just trying to get you to kind of up your search results when people hop on a third delivery third party delivery platform looking for a burger or pizza or whatever i guess from a business perspective too i'm thinking about what okay what's the benefit to the apps and it is from a consumer perspective, oh, there's so many different places I can order from. It's not just, hey, we've got, uh, you know, we've got Pizza Hut and we've got Wendy's and we've mm-hmm. got like these four other mediocre things. They've also got these things I've never heard of. Yeah. And I mean, that can be a little bit of a double edged sword because mm-hmm. customers don't like getting duped. Um, okay. And you saw a lot of this during the pandemic. And I think one of the most prevalent examples was. People were getting on DoorDash and Uber Eats and ordering Pasquale's Pizza and Wings, <laughs> and they found out it was Chuck E. Cheese, and they were upset. And, yeah. you know, so um, especially, I think a lot of this, it was starting to happen before the pandemic, that a pandemic really kind of spurred a lot of growth in this area, because, you know, restaurants had to find some way to survive. Yeah. Um, but, and so platforms have kind of... Uh, tried to build in a little bit more transparency in these virtual brands. Um, but it can be really easy to like order from a place you've already ordered from without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, with going back to that kind of fresh set, fresh set red ramen example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I, I get on there and I see a salad from fresh set that I want to order and I order it and I don't like it, 
you know, then I'm on there again and I see Red Robin has a salad and I want to be like, oh, going to have that salad and I order it and it's the same thing. Right. So it's kind of a little too easy to end up ordering something you don't enjoy over again, in my opinion, if you're not being careful and really paying attention to where you're ordering from. And is that the primary concern for the customer, do you think, of like, I have certainly had negative experiences Mm -hmm. on DoorDash or with a certain, like, and it's normally a chain, right? That it's like, oh, I got this. Uh, I don't want to disparage any (laughs) restaurants, but like, oh, this just wasn't good. And the prep was rushed and like, oh, I'm not going to order from there Mm -hmm. again. But if I'm presented with something that, frankly, I know I want, for example, chicken wings again. Uh It's like, oh, I'm being presented with this different option that's actually not a different option. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. And I also think there's just kind of the transparency aspect of like people wanting to know where their food is coming from. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you look closely, it's typically like real small at the bottom of a listing on a third party delivery service. Like this brand is a part of whatever restaurant, but you don't scroll down and see that but there does tend to be disclosure you're saying there is it's normally not like super prevalent but it's there and that's that's kind of what i was saying is you know at the start of the pandemic is sort of the wild west but you know as this has been going on for a little longer there are a few more i would say built-in of protections are the right word but like more transparency into what is and isn't a virtual brand than there used to be it feels very similar and we will not go down the legal rabbit hole here Uh but it feels very similar to fulfilled by amazon right Um, that like i think i'm buying from amazon and amazon is delivering it to me but it is just something that somebody shipped to amazon that amazon then ships back uh, to me and the the sorry i guess i am going to go down the legal (laughs) rabbit hole that the liability for that product does not rest with Amazon. It rests on the person who initially sent it in. Interesting. And guess what? If you want, let's say, let's choose a terrible example, mm-hmm. an electric bike that uh-huh. like burns down your garage, you would much rather sue Amazon than yeah. you would sue a Chinese manufacturer mm-hmm. who's never going to show up in the courtroom in the first place. Yeah. And so what you're saying is like, for the most part, we're seeing uh, that there are some disclosures being Mm -hmm. made. It does say, hey, heads up, fulfilled by Red Robin. Yeah. But it's the fine print. Yes. Well, that makes me think of a really interesting example. So I did speak to Columbus Public Health during this. um, And the individual I spoke with told me an example of, so say I owned like a breakfast restaurant, Mm -hmm. Susan's Breakfast. Um, I'm having a really busy Saturday morning. You call in and order pancakes. Instead of fulfilling that request at the restaurant, I dispatch it to a facility that I have inside a ghost kitchen. Okay. And so my f- the food that gets delivered to actually comes from that ghost kitchen and not the restaurant. Okay. So he cited an example of seeing that happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that kind of fits your what you were saying about Amazon is, you know, do you know where it's coming from? If there's a problem with the food, yeah. you know, and you call the restaurant back, that food wasn't actually made there. Yeah. So like, what, what are they going to do about it? Well, uh, I would like to assume, so there's obviously certifications that restaurants go through. Yeah. There are certifications that kitchens go through. Mm-hmm. They are different, first of all, but, uh, and, and you'd also like to assume that any legitimate business, if they are, 
let's say they're not outsourcing exactly. Mm-hmm. They're like deferring an order to another facility yeah. they own. And that they're going through licensed that licensing. And, inspected. Right. And, and that's um, exactly what we talked about is like, you know, even though you may not see a lot um, on the consumer side of these ghost kitchens, like each individual kitchen is inspected. Every time a tenant turns over, they're supposed to get re-inspected. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're held to the same standards of, you know, restaurants get inspected so many times a year based on their risk level. Yep. So, I mean, it is, you know, it's not just whatever, no, no oversight in the kitchen. Um, they are inspected, but they, you know, Columbus Public Health said they don't always know what all brands are operating out of what kitchen. Right. Well, yeah. and so I guess the question would be, so let, the natural conclusion to that is, let's say, I'm, I'm having a very hard time just like naming restaurants that don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> but let's say I order from restaurant A mm-hmm. and I get f- sick. Yeah. And I get sick enough that I'm like dropping a dime on restaurant A mm-hmm. and there's where's the chain of custody right apparently yeah. this is a legal argument now <laughs> the, <laughs> where's where's the chain of custody for like oh i ordered it from this place and then somebody's like oh well it looks like from your email confirmation it's mm-hmm. actually from this place and they're actually not licensed or we don't this isn't somewhere where we have jurisdiction uh and so there's a risk to the customer right yeah and that's a great great question and i mean i was looking at um so we did our own little experiment which Mm -hmm. i can get into in a minute um but i was trying to find contact info for one of the brands or restaurants that we ordered from and all i could find was like a generic number that was from la Okay. And, and so it's like, even if you want to get in touch with, you know, some of these restaurants, it's probably really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I can get into my yeah, example t- how did, then. So, and the point of the experiment was mostly to like verify and explore the different idiosyncrasies of what this model causes. Yes. Got it. Um, you know, so this whole idea of kind of exploring ghost kitchens and virtual brands, I mentioned it several times, but kind of started during the pandemic because, you know, my beat is food, restaurants. Mm -hmm. And so I was, you got to keep working too. (laughs) I know it was, it was a challenge, but, um, you know, so I was seeing all of these new brands and options popping up that I'm like, where is this? Like, I don't see this on a building. Mm -hmm. Like, where's this coming from? And it was, you know, coming out of another restaurant's kitchen. So something um, that we'd kind of been keeping an eye on and, you know, toyed with writing about. Um, and then earlier this year, it was YouTuber Eddie Burback who did um, a really interesting video about kind of like the pitfalls of ghost kitchens. Um, and in that, he ordered, I think, nine different fish sandwiches from nine different restaurants okay. that all shared an address. Okay. Um, and so he went to pick them up and there was like no marking between like which sandwich came from which restaurant. But they all looked and tasted pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. So we decided to kind of recreate that experiment with a local example. So we ordered um, from the Columbus Food Hall. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we did was we ordered two different dishes from two different restaurants. So we did these chicken curry bowls. Okay. And they had just slightly different names from each restaurant. And they were different prices. So I think one of them was like $15 and one of them was $13.50 pick them up. They look exactly the same. They taste exactly the same. And so we did it again. And then we got cauliflower wings from two different restaurants. Same order, same everything, same price, Mm -hmm. taste the same. Okay. So even though we ordered from four different places. Ostensibly. Yeah. Yeah. 
it was all the same. Um, so that kind of, you know, just replicated what Eddie Burback had found in his video. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you looked at the Columbus Food Hall specifically at that time, there were probably at least a half a dozen different restaurants that had some sort of overlap in their menu with bowls and cauliflower wings and healthy options. Then it started getting into like these places that said like fuck gluten or fuck carbs or whatever. And like Mm -hmm. there was more menu overlap with those. So you had like 12 different restaurants that all had some sort of shared dishes. So they're very likely coming out of the same kitchen. Maybe different bags, maybe different packaging, but a lot of times, no. Well, and like all of the packaging, so we had to place four different orders to pick um, this food up. And, you know, each did have a like stapled receipt on the outside Mm -hmm. saying what the order was, but the packaging was all the same. There was no kind of indication otherwise Mm -hmm. of what was coming from what place besides the ticket stapled on the outside. And so, and you actually went to, because a lot of these places... If you are selecting, because you're making the determination mm-hmm. from the jump, is this for delivery or is this yeah. for pickup? But you were. You went able, to pick up. You went to pick up, mm-hmm. but a lot of these places, they won't let you pick up. Like, this is meant to be, uh, you don't want to see behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, we picked up from the Columbus Food Hall, and I know that you can pick up from the um, Maker Kitchens on High Street as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, going back to the Red Robin example, so when I was searching um, on DoorDash and I zoomed in on Red Robin when I had pickup selected, mm-hmm. only Red Robin was showing up. Okay. When I switched to delivery and was looking at options, Fresh Set and Red Robin were showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so there definitely is some, you know, kind of trying to, to hide. Yeah. They're obfuscating what they're doing. Yeah. And... I think at the end of the day, it does go back to customers don't want to be duped, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about the pricing too, but I don't think we really know like why want like literally it's the same person doing the pricing, yeah, and why maybe one is more of a, a an upscale brand and one is a I just want food in my belly kind of brand. Yeah, and so it's they... a great question. And I mean, like, um, if you look at the article on the site, the the front image is a picture of the bowls and it looks like they've got about the same amount of chicken, about mm-hmm. the same amount of vegetables. So I, I have no idea. So there is some additional like like these places have websites. They are they don't exist solely within DoorDash. Well, it depends. Okay. So the interesting thing is, so one of the places that we ordered from, it was like Thai curry bowls or something. And I mentioned earlier, I was trying to look up contact info for that place and it Mm -hmm. was sending me to a number in LA. Mm -hmm. And so then I started digging into it further and I kept matching up addresses of, you know, other locations of this restaurant and they were all in other cloud kitchen facilities. Okay. Cloud Kitchens is just very interesting because they are very, very secretive of what they're doing. Um, I mentioned in the article that I was having trouble getting anyone from Cloud Kitchens or that worked out of Cloud Kitchens Mm -hmm. to talk to me. Um, And right after the article published, I had an individual that said they had worked in a Cloud Kitchen facility reach out to me and say, the reason you're not hearing from anyone is because everyone has to sign NDAs or non-disclosure agreements. Yeah. Um, And so looked into that a little further and like, seen that in a lot of places and a lot of other articles that um, 
Travis Kalanick, who was at Uber uh-huh. and then was ousted and founded this Cloud Kitchens. He's very, very secretive. He doesn't even want his employees putting that they work there on LinkedIn. Okay. So just kind of a lot of um, shrouded mystery around the facilities. But it's kind of seeming like they have a lot of these sort of in-house virtual brands that they're encouraging people that are working out of their facilities to use. And so is it, and I'm sorry, what's the name of the place on Essex? Cloud Kitchens. Cloud Kitchens not only allows folks to work out of it with their brands, but they also have their own in-house brands that they're replicating, that they're putting on the apps, using these third-party platforms to basically be the... Uh, the road, the path to their food. Yeah, and that's that's what it's seeming like. Okay. Yeah. I mean, sure. is it all that? No, and I mean, that's that's kind of what's interesting is like if you look at the listing um, on their website, it does seem like there are some like genuinely local mom and pop brands that operate operate out of these facilities and they can okay. have a lot of benefits for those type, types of businesses. But in my opinion, it kind of gets lost in the noise of all of the other six to 10 brands that look exactly the same. It's yeah. kind of hard to, to sort through it and pick out that one thing that's like, oh, okay, I think this is actually, you know, people from Columbus just trying to do their thing. Yeah. Well, and in my head, it goes to, I've been doing a little bit of work in the e-commerce space mm-hmm. and how easy it is to just very quickly design a t-shirt, very quickly mm-hmm. throw it on a print-on-demand service, link that up with your Shopify store, and all you have to do is basically pay your $10 a month subscription mm-hmm. to these various services, and, oh, look, I've got a clothing brand, Yep. right? And it's not, like, it's not the nicest stuff. It's not homage, but, yeah. like, it's it's good enough to do a funny t-shirt. Well, and... Um... I kind of talked about that in the article with the Ohio Restaurant Association. Again, during the pandemic, this really ramped up. And mm-hmm. you had lots of people just kind of throwing together these virtual brands, you know. And a lot of them then subsequently went away really quickly because it is more complicated than you think. You know, we were talking about a lot of restaurants thought, oh, you know, I serve burgers already. What's the difference if it's to a customer sitting in the restaurant or putting it in a box to go? But there's mm-hmm. actually like a lot of things you have to think about. And it's, you know, food temps holding times, you know, what you're going to deliver your food in, how you're going to communicate with the drivers. Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, there's a lot more to it than I think a lot of restaurants realized. And so you saw a lot come and then a lot go. And, you know, we were kind of talking about how things I think are going to get to sort of this even out point where the bad ones are going to go away. Yeah. Well, <laughs> As with any industry. Yeah. yeah. When there is a boom, there tends to be like a culling of, mm-hmm. of the field. And it's interesting just to try to bring it back a little bit more to the uh, Columbus perspective. Mm-hmm. Folks like North Star, Brassica, like they they aren't on those apps, Mm-mm. but they do a very hefty takeout game. Yeah. Right. And uh, nice takeout containers are not cheap uh-uh. as somebody who's had to purchase them. Yeah. And they're they're not easy to store. Mm-hmm. Like it's a they whole take up a lot of space. I'm exactly. Sure. Yeah. It's an entirely other logistical problem mm-hmm. that out of necessity, like a pandemic, mm-hmm. you may have to solve it. Yeah. But it's uh it's just it's a very interesting perspective. But like let's say I owned a a bear burger type restaurant mm-hmm. that you know, I've got 15 different burgers. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I subsect my brand so that if, 
somebody is on there and searches vegan and they yeah. see bear burger, they're going to yeah. be like, that's not, I'm moving past that. But mm -hmm. if they see uh, uh, leafy patties yeah. as an option, they're like, oh, what's that? Oh, it's just vegan burgers. Yeah. I want that. And that's exactly what we were talking about earlier. And um, Mikey's, Mikey's Late Night Slice mm -hmm. actually did something like that during the pandemic. Okay. Um, where they they already had some vegan options, but they sectioned it off into this brand called High Horse Vegan. Uh-huh. Um, and ran that for a while and, you know, talked to Mikey and he kind of talked about how it helped um, acquire their new customers because people didn't know they had vegan mm -hmm. options. And, you know, so that was kind of a really big benefit for them as it helped, you know, help vegan folks know that they could eat there yep um and they kept it going for a while and he said they shut it down probably about a year and a half ago now because it just wasn't generating enough the necessity sales wasn't revenue there. right but yeah but now they acquired all these new customers that did know that they had vegan options so i mean and that's that can be a benefit of yeah segmenting out um i guess it just in my opinion you know as i was doing this article and looking on things like it was just so overwhelming yeah if i searched like something basic like pizza or Burger, chicken tenders, there's just literally like hundreds, if not like a thousand options. Yeah. And so it's like, at what point do you just be like, forget this, you know, I give up or you just stick to your favorite because you know you like it. So yeah. kind of when does it sort of become this diminishing return of like, there's so many options that. And I think diminishing return is right. I think that you, and this is another like, here's how I think about it in my, uh, in my day job mm -hmm. is everybody says like, Oh, threads is here now. We all need to be on threads. And I'm like, do you really want another cat <laughs> another to feed? Thing to like have to pay attention to. Yeah. The, the adage I always use is you can have as many cats as you want, <laughs> but you have to feed every single one of them. Mm -hmm. And like the argument about whether a restaurant should be on Snapchat yeah. Is a legitimate argument, or excuse me, a legitimate discussion to have, mm -hmm. but the answer is probably not. Yeah. Like, it's not, what is yeah. it benefiting you? What's the virtue in that? That's a great question. I mean, it's ultimately up to the individual restaurant what their capacity is and if they can have these multiple brands going at the same time. And yeah. Yeah. I guess I think that, like, Mikey's did it right. Mm -hmm. Shout out, Mikey. They did it. They tried it. They, uh, they went to get out. <laughs> yeah, well, and they did it, but they did it for a reason that yeah. wasn't specifically misleading. It yep. was just to showcase these options, and it wasn't to, like, hoodwink people who yeah. were like, I didn't like the pizza that one time, so I'm going to go mm -hmm. to this high horse pizza yeah. in order to basically mislead them so yeah. that they get that get a repeat customer that they shouldn't have. Yeah. Well, I think he said they only ever really tried it because of the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, so it might not have been something they would have done otherwise. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody to go and read the article. Mm -hmm. There's, it goes in depth about some other things we don't necessarily have much time for here, like quality control issues mm -hmm. and legal, more legal representation yep. of names. Um, but I want to wrap up today. You get a special question. Exciting. Uh, Partly by virtue of your role <laughs> uh, and partly by virtue of when this is coming out. Mm -hmm. Susan, what are you thankful for? I am thankful for uh, I'm thankful for my job that I get to do stuff like this. I celebrated 10 years over the summer, which mm -hmm. is a really exciting milestone. And it's it's been 10 fast and fun years. And then I also have to say I'm thankful for my husband. We've just had a great year and have some fun holiday travel planned. And I'm really looking forward to it. What are you, what are you not so thankful for? 
Ooh, uh, that it's cold outside Okay, now? Not into it. Not that's ready. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> Susan, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite gig worker. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. Thank you.